ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a brand new edition of the Behind the Curtain podcast with Jared Prugar and Paul Murphy live from Arizona. We're we're dialing it up. We're going behind the curtain, and let's talk a little bit more about why that matters, right? I'm going to refer to him as Murph. I don't know how to call him Paul. Um, I, I just don't I don't see that ever happening. But welcome I, aboard. Thank to, you. Uh, to been, your first I've broadcast. Been... I've been called worse, um, so we'll, we'll go with Murph. That's good. I think That's I've actually called start. you worse. Well, you probably have. You probably have. <laughs> Welcome. Uh, glad to be here. Uh, first edition here and, and first crack at this. So, uh, looking forward to to moving ahead here. Yeah, this is a this is a secret podcast that and behind the scenes that nobody knows other than our graphics guy and and maybe a few select people, probably our significant others. Uh, that's really about it. And so we're, we're going to get this off the ball and, and rolling. And and Curtin is a play on the road that Beaver Stadium is on. This is going to have a Penn State theme, but we're going to talk about literally everything else under the sun because there's so much to talk about sports-wise and, and everything. So let's get right to it. Penn State football, you were able to see them at Illinois Central Time Zone. Uh, 11 a.m. kick. How difficult do you think that's going to be for them? Um, so with an 11 a.m. kick, and, 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 and this has been the mindset over probably the last seven to eight years since they've been getting these 11 a.m. kickoffs at Central Time, and, and, and it's no longer a coincidence. It's a pattern. Um, they, they seem to come out, you know, a little flat in the first half of a lot of games, and um, but what, what I saw in the Illinois game was was exactly that. And um, but as we've seen, uh, this isn't your normal Penn State team from the last five to seven years. And when, when you're talking about the defense and stuff and the defense has just been really rose to the occasion in that game. And, uh, you know, we were able to get the takeaways and stuff like that. So, again, here we come again with Northwestern with a, with another 11 a.m. kickoff and. All I can say is it's Northwestern this week. Yeah. You know, James Franklin, we talked a little bit um, uh, on our Lashing Out podcast, but J James Franklin, it didn't play any music. So if if you're new to Northwestern football, noon kicks typically don't have a lot of music. There's not a crowd. There's not a crowd. There's not a vibe. People are probably doing a little bit other things in Evanston, Illinois at that time. But that's what Franklin is specializing in right now. It's being prepared like it, as much as people want to nag and, and rag on him for, for certain things, he has his teams prepared in all aspects going into those types of games. Yeah. Uh, it, to be honest with you, I was surprised and uh, just not to counter what you said there, but during the, Illo the Illinois game, they had a tremendous amount of piped in music, um, even that early in the morning. And I did see and I read about Franklin this week making everything pretty quiet at, at his practice. And, you know, as you scour the social media, you see where there's some comments in there and people are like, you know, he's taking a shot at Northwestern and, and, and all this. And, and no, no, he's, he's actually not. And that wasn't the intent. You know, it's another one of those things where they take just that little piece of information and they want to use it as, you know, oh, look at this, look at this. Um, and, and, and as you and I had talked before, you know, you go back to sports psychology and Franklin psychology behind the scenes with things. And um, there are many examples that, that we have used in the past uh, years with Franklin when it comes to the psychology. 
Um, obviously, we all know the Iowa situation. Um, you can go back to the Michigan State game of a few years ago uh, with some things. And, and, and Franklin, you know, Franklin has his attractors. He has his detractors. Uh, but when you look at the things he does behind the scene, and, and yes, uh, uh, everything dwindles down to Ohio State, Michigan. Every year. Every year, it's Ohio State, Michigan. But the way he prepares his guys um, with, with different things. Um, so the Iowa game, if, if, uh, Jared, if we can just touch on that a little bit. And, and for our listeners, you know, we all know two years ago in Iowa, we had a multitude of injuries. And, and then you, you had the guy in the stands, you know, making fun of Clifford and, and mimic him. And, and, and that's it. You know, fans are fans. That's going to happen. But when you have a, a, a coach that literally flops down on the sideline during the game and an NCAA Division One Power Five team and, and does that. And from what I can remember, that was when Mustafer got hurt and Mustafer missed the rest of the season with a yeah, torn ACL. ACL. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, Clifford was banged up. He left the game and, you know, people are talking about, you know, well, they were faking it to slow down the offense. What, what offense? The game was 17 to three when Clifford got hurt and Mustafer got hurt. And, and so, as you know, the other day, um, at the end of the game, uh, some people may not know this, but after the game, uh, it was pretty much a drive-by handshake with Ferenc. But Franklin also approached to the Iowa sideline to, to seek out LeVar Woods. And, and, and right, you know, rightfully so, he didn't say anything. Um, he said something, and, and we'll leave that to the to the viewer's imagination because you know that it's it's kind of hearsay at this point. But um, Franklin does things behind, and, and one of the telling things, and when you talk about getting the guys ready, was when Chop Robinson had his sack late in the game, and, and, and he did an imitation of Iowa coach flopping on the sideline, and Chop Robinson wasn't even on a team two years ago when this happened. You know, so yeah, the, the behind the scenes, Franklin, with this psychology, he gets these kids ready, he, he makes them understand, and, and he makes sure that they're not out there giving bullets and board material, unlike the Dan Lannings, the Matt Rolls, and the, the Deion Sanders, uh, as, as we're seeing here in the first, first half of the season. Yeah, and I think that's what makes Franklin special. Like, nobody would have known that his focus was to just annihilate Iowa and give them that payback. They felt disrespected, and they were. And and that's one of the things that has made him kind of not as endearing to the media. He's not going to be a Deion Sanders. I think that there was something I saw something about um, black head coaches because they're having a lot of success. You know, you have Syracuse, you have James Franklin, and, and I think there's one other school as well on top of Colorado. Well, those guys, you wouldn't know that because that's not the way they go about things. Oh, it was Maryland um, and Mike, Slo Mike Loxley. They go about their business in a respectful manner. They just it, it's it's all it's all eyewash as far as what they have to do with the media. Whereas Deion Sanders is a little bit different. He's out there and he's got to promote that program. He's got to rebuild that program. Sure. But for Franklin, this program is already built. He inherited a disaster, but he's been able to to restore that and get it to where it's at. And you're right, he has to beat Michigan and Ohio State every year. So anytime it's ten and two. It, and those are the two losses. That's that's the incredible frustrating thing. But he does it all behind the scenes. He's so poignant in what he says. That's not just 
for his opponents. I mean, Chuck Robinson is a monster and, and that was a very subtle um, celebration that I don't think people would have really understood if he hadn't said it. Um, the same thing with Franklin going over to talk to their special team coach and he obviously didn't acknowledge it, but sure. that, that's what is, I think, interesting about him. Everything he does is behind the scenes and for a reason. You see it when he talks to the media every time. He's never going to give you bulletin board material at all, ever. And if he does, oh, whoa. And it's not anything big. It's just like, oh, what, what kind of coffee do you like? What do you do this? And, <laughs> and, and he's very vanilla as far as that goes. But when he talks, the administration listens. And, and you're, we're seeing that in a big effect you know, with the resources that, that are being pumped in that program. NIL is, has been big and has been hammered. And he made mention of that. And that's the one of those situations. And now Ohio State's barking that people want money to visit and whatever. Penn State, I'm sure, has something yeah, asking, behind the They're scenes. asking for $5,000 just to come on a, on a visit. I, I, I did see that this past week. I would love that. Like, if anybody ever paid me to go somewhere <laughs> like that, that would be great. I think that's called work, though. Um, but I have to. <laughs> but who knows? But, yeah, and that's and that's the difference between Franklin and Deion Sanders. I don't necessarily think there's a comparison. I think what Deion is doing is great for college football. Because it's taking away the fact that Alabama's not good. It's taking away the fact that Michigan has played literally nobody. Same thing with Ohio State. And you mentioned earlier about the the it's a pattern. Well, now Penn State's going to go into the big house at a, for a noon kick, and that's becoming a pattern too. The big games in the Big Ten are going to be on big noon, right? Fox matters. Yep. But I I this is my conspiracy is teams like Michigan, teams like Ohio State, and honestly who gives a crap about Iowa at this point but they don't want to play at Beaver Stadium at night nobody wants to play Beaver Stadium at night just ask Iowa right they did they just got demolished and demoralized like Brian Ferentz is making Jay Paterno look like a competent offensive coordinator (laughs) and that's really really hard to do so when you look at it in the grand scheme of things they don't want to play there so now Penn State's going to go to Ohio State and play at noon they had to play Ohio State at Beaver Stadium at noon last year and Michigan mm-hmm. is going to be probably a noon kick. Now, Big Noon mm-hmm. is always going to be at Ohio State and Michigan, and that game's always going to be a noon. And that sucks for the atmosphere, but at the same time, I think it, it plays in Penn State's favor just a little bit. So, yeah, I mean, and, and as we know, just to kind of touch on that a little bit too, Jared, is that, you know, Penn State has opened on the road like, I don't know, 11 of the last 12 years in the Big Ten, their opening Big Ten game has been on the road, just as it was this year, uh, once again, with with, with Illinois. Um, but in this case, I, I think that was a good thing for them this year. It gave Allah, you know, a taste of road life a little bit. Um, you know, he didn't have his best game uh, in that game against Illinois. But he also had a lot of drops, and, and you know, there was a couple of misreads. Um, with things too but as far as getting your team ready doing things behind the scenes to make sure that your guys aren't getting too hyped up um i mean you, you got to take a look at this now this year and and the difference definitely this year is obviously the defense and and, and manny diaz has just done an, an amazing incredible job and you know almost too good of a job because you know you'd like to hang on to him um, but you, you know how that how that works. And, and a sign of a successful program is when, you know, your assistants are constantly leaving. You're looking at Alabama. You're looking at Ohio State. Uh, and, and now James Franklin is starting to do that. You know, 
uh, was it week one? Uh, it was James Madison and Virginia Tech. And we had Brent Pry and um, oh, Old wow. Dominion. You're talking Old Dominion. Old, Old Dominion. And Old Ricky Dominion. Ronnie. I'm yes. sorry. Ricky yeah. Ronnie. Um, last week, you had Charles Hoff with Marshall. And, and they were playing against, I believe, Virginia Tech as well. Yes. And there's another Penn State prodigy uh, from, the coaching, from the coaching tree. And, and some of these guys, you know, Franklin's philosophy, and you look at a Charles Huff, you look at a Ricky Rainey who, you know, I, I'm going to be honest with you, I wasn't really thrilled with, with his offensive uh, philosophies. Yeah, that was uh, an addition by subtraction when he went to Old Dominion. Uh, it definitely was. definitely was. Uh, but then, you, you know, you look at Huff and you look at Pry and you look at Rainey and you look at these guys, and they all come with kind of the same demeanor. Um, their, their, their approach to the game, their approach to their team, and, and the things that they do in behind to get them ready. So, you know, when you get a Deion Sanders, and, and you know, obviously you're, you're a Cowboys fan, and, you know, Deion was there. I watched Deion, you know, he was right, you know, prime time was right around when you were probably, I'm guessing, uh, six, seven, eight years old, whenever mm -hmm. Dion was playing. And, and, you know, all the attention came to him. But he he wasn't cheap uh, as far as, you know, he didn't take cheap shots of people. He didn't do stuff. He was he was all about the show. And and now we have this guy coming in. And once again, he's all about the show to the point where you've got other coaches in the first three games already, each one of the head coach, including Matt Rule, um, again, he, there's another Penn State guy that's, you know, with a head coaching job, uh, have been saying things, you know, and, and Dan Lanning come out, you know, it's, you know, we, we play for, he plays for clicks, you know, we, we play for wins, uh, you know, stuff like that. So it's refreshing to see a guy about like James Franklin. Um, sure, he has his nuances, just like every coach does. And, you know, and so if you want to look at that, Let's take a look real quick at Ryan Day this past weekend. He I mean, went after <laughs> Lou Holtz. Oh, my God. He went after an 86-year-old man. That is so great. And and you mentioned it, right? Like, Dion is in the heads of all of these other people, right? Exactly. His psychological warfare is in the press, is in the media. All these coaches are speaking up, and they're giving him fuel. Meanwhile, Lou Holtz says something on the Pat McAfee show or game day about about Ohio State not being that great. And guess what? They are not. Yep. But then yep. he then Lou Holtz backs it up after Ryan Day talks crap. And it's like, yeah, he doesn't want to talk about losing to Michigan. He doesn't want to talk about a Penn State team that's probably going to go into Columbus and could fight for the win. And yeah, that, like you're going after an 86-year-old man. How insecure are you? Yeah, I, I heard that interview. And, you know, it started out like, uh, you know, okay. And then all of a sudden, he just like went off the rails. And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, if, if you think – you know, I don't know. It's just, like I said, it gives you a nice perspective and you, and you look at everything. I mean, let, let's be honest. Ohio State is not the Ohio State of the past few years. Are they good? Yeah, they're, they're good. They're, are they great? No, absolutely not. Um, but, okay, it took a 10-man defense on fourth down and goal and a guy not even on the left side of the scrimmage for you to win that game. So, Lou Holtz, you know, yeah, he was kind of right, but, you know, Lou is Lou. He's Notre Dame through and through. And, and like you said, he's an 86-year-old man. Um, you know, Ryan Day kind of looked a little bit nuts when, when he went off like that. 
But yeah, I mean, it's uh, philosophy. And, and one last thing, uh, Jared, before we move into to the next session, and when you mentioned about the the sports psychology and, and the demeanor of coaches, um, but let's not forget the Cal Sandersons of the world. Um, and and once again, Iowa, which obviously the other night was perfect because I even had my son say to me months ago, it would be pretty cool to see Penn State honor the national champion Penn State wrestling team during halftime <laughs> of the Iowa game. And that is exactly, exactly what happened. Uh, but, but you look at a Cal Sanderson and when you watch him and he's just sits there and he's quiet and he's businesslike and then you switch over to the Iowa's of the world where the brothers brand are just absolutely raging lunatics um and 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 it's reflected in the team it's reflected in the team I, and nobody's going to forget spencer lee's mom snapping her glasses in half and you know so you sure as heck aren't <laughs> all of this has happened with iowa in the last couple of years with the yeah. guy in the stands lafar wood spencer lee's mom um and, and and the brand brothers just constantly going that so yeah it's um I like his philosophy. He does what's best for his team. He prepares his team. Yes, we don't always get the results that we think we have, and, and, and the knock has been well, and so you start being Michigan and Ohio State consistently. But I also like that you know James Franklin brings an element where the players speak highly of him, the players that leave speak highly of him. And, and when I say leave, I'm talking about the kids that have graduated as well as the guys that have transferred um, and mm. have traditionally had good things to say. And, and that's a mark of a good coach. Um, that's a coach that's respected by his team. And, and ultimately, that's where it lies. When you get the respect of your kids and the players and their, and their families, then, then you're doing something right in spite of what the wins and losses turn out to be. And that's why people coach, right? You've coached, I've coached. That's why people coach. It's not about the wins and the losses. Yeah, they're great. And sure, they all add up. But it's, it, it's all about that impact. And the people that are transferring from Penn State aren't players that are, I, I, I don't want to disrespect them, but they're not the players that are going to be starting. And Kevon Lee and Noah Kane are in, in much different situations than, than other guys. But we're going to come back for the second segment, and I'm going to bring up a, the Michigan State because I think that's important and, and the craziness that is college football because college football is a is a is nutso right now. But we're going to talk about that on the second segment of Behind the Curtain on the Nittany Sports Now Network. Welcome back to the second segment of the Behind the Curtain podcast on the Esports Now Network. He's Murph. I am Jared. Listen, Michigan State, If th there are three schools that you cannot have what happened at Michigan State happen. And it is Baylor, Penn State, and Michigan State. And lo and behold, Michigan State finds another way to screw something so incredibly up. Or bad. It is just phenomenal because I think as bad as what Mel Tucker has done, like morally, ethically, whatever, it's the fact that Michigan State didn't do anything once again. And now both sides are eating crow and it is just awful to see, but hilarious at the same time. I, I, yeah, I mean, it's <laughs> when, when the news came out and, and everything, and then like you said, there is no um, they've known about this and they've known about this for months and they sat on it and didn't do anything. And then some, you know, 
the wind got a hold of the of what was going on and it just it just exploded there. So they definitely got egg on their face for how they handled the situation. Um, as you know, uh, as we were talking even yesterday about when Mel Tucker sent the letter to the Michigan State's general counsel. And, and, and yes, there's a lot of legalese um, in there. Uh, but if, if anybody has read that, read that letter, um, essentially, it was, well, you can't do this because of that and blah, blah, blah. But there was nothing in that taking accountability for, for what he had done. Uh, and then obviously, as we know, after that, they basically responded by like, you know, you're, you're gone with um, firing him, what he claims is an illegal termination. Um, but now they, they fired him for cause, which voids the $79 million that he's owed on that contract which, and that was mistake number one <laughs> that was, absolutely he, was. he accomplished nothing with his own players those are still Marty antonio's players and that's that when he got that deal that 92 million dollar deal over 10 years i was like what what are they thinking you know that, number one he hasn't proven anything yeah he struck and this is a guy that bolted from colorado go figure right and then yeah. comes that comes to michigan state on the stop dropping the dime and boom gets paid and it's like okay what are you guys doing and this happens and there's you're right there's no accountability like if he literally would have just said yeah it happened i'm not proud of it i'm going through a bad bad divorce whatever like we all have bad relationships like it happens like we've gone through it but this dude doubled down be like yeah it wasn't bad what i did i shouldn't be fired and then (laughs) And then Michigan State's letter to him saying, yep, we're actually going to fire you and you're not going to get any of this money back because you're an idiot. was essentially the scene from Billy Madison saying, we award you no points and may God have mercy on your soul because whatever you said in that letter made absolutely no sense. And that was just absolutely incredible. Like they were like, oh, well, we didn't know. We're going to we're going to try to find who leaked this. Well, guess what? That team wasn't doing anything. And they were like, we are going to be destroyed. And they have been. And yes, rightfully so. Yeah, I when, whenever that was coming up, um, especially when they, they they suspended him, and then of course it came out and it said, you know, no, he wasn't suspended. And then it was suspended. <laughs> and then he was fired, but he wasn't fired. And, and, and like I said, it was just a lot of back and forth that didn't really help either side in, in, in that case. And now Michigan State, you know, they have their assistant coach that they've elevated up to, to, to the head coach. And, you know, if, if you look at the scores right now, Michigan State, okay, they won the first two games before this all started coming. But now they've lost their last two games by like a 72 to 16. Um, now, granted, they played Washington and, and they got destroyed by Maryland. And, you know, they're at Iowa. Rutgers has improved. They're going to get absolutely destroyed. Honestly, looking at the schedule, they may win three games, maybe, um, the rest of the season. Perhaps Rutgers, Minnesota looked like they're not exactly good because they just got beat this weekend in a game that they had no business losing to, of all teams, Northwestern. Northwestern who's and, not, you know, not a stranger to to crazy situations having what they've gone through uh yes. preseason but now 
they these players get to spend the next 30 days looking for a home. They have 30 days. They can go wherever they want. And if they leave right now and stop playing, they would be eligible to redshirt this year because they haven't played in five games. And I think that That's is true. That is crazy to me. But they don't know who they're going to be playing for. And you mentioned Charles Huff at Marshall. He's one of the top names. Um, same with Joe Moorhead, uh, who's at Akron now, both Penn State guys. But my favorite, my favorite name mentioned is Pat Narduzzi. That, yes, sir. Yes, because sir. there's like Penn State would go from unrivaled to only Pat Narduzzi rivaled in, in, a, in a drop of a hat. They're mentioning a bunch of Michigan State guys. Just bring, just bring back everybody, man. And I think that would be great for the Big Ten because they're going to play every year. They have, they should play every year. At the last game of the season, he finally gets that Penn State rivalry that he so desperately wants and needs at Penn at Pitt right now. Yeah, and, and I agree. And that's you know, and, and you tie this all back into what we were talking about in the first segment when you when it comes to coaches and 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 you look at Pat Narduzzi, and I've never been a Pat Narduzzi fan. Uh, he was a disciple of D'Antonio. Um, you know, D'Antonio up at Michigan State was a little bit, yeah, he had a little bit of a, a smugness to him. And, you know, like I said about that game a few years ago when, when they were absolutely blowing Penn State out, I think 41 to 16, and they went and put in a defensive lineman in at the goal line from like the six-yard line. And that was just okay. Um, but the next year, Penn State got its revenge when, you know, I think they were up big in that game. Um, 31-12 with, you know, four minutes left, uh, which coincidentally was the game that they needed Ohio State to lose to get so the Penn State could get to the Big Ten Championship game. Um, but Narduzzi is a disciple of D'Antonio, but Narduzzi is on a full class of himself when it comes to smugness and, and, and just the things that he worries about. Um, I would absolutely love to see Pat Narduzzi end up at Michigan State. Because then it becomes put up or shut up time. Because all he worries about more than his team, it seems at times, is, well, we don't play Penn State. We don't play Penn State. Well, you go to Michigan State, now you have no <laughs> – you got what you wanted. He he is like the ex that just won't go away. And he is it, – it, and, I, and I love it because there's nobody that's as dedicated to hating Penn State like Pat Narduzzi is. And I'm sure he gets it from when he was at Michigan State, and that is incredible. But, man, there would just be nothing better. And his perfect out is the ACC is a tire fire. The college college football carousel is, is so off the tracks right now, and it's going to be insane. And they go, the Big Ten's stable. I can go there, go to Michigan State. I'm comfortable there, whatever. And, it, and it's going to be just like old times. But, yes, I cannot wait for that to happen. I want him to win that job, whatever I have to do to lobby for him. I've never wanted a guy to get a job better <laughs> than him. But speaking of the ACC, Clemson is about to bolt. And yes. they have so a, bunch, it, a bunch of suitors. But where do you think Clemson should should go? What, what, what is your feeling? Where, I saw something today where it says – that they may possibly be looking at moving into the Big Ten. Uh, I did too. I did too, and I think that's the best spot for them because Davo Swinney, you, we talk about the psychology of coaching today, right? He doesn't want to lose. He's going to go to Alabama and, and lose. He could – Auburn, LSU, all of those schools, or maybe not Auburn, but even Ole Miss, like there are wins guaranteed in the Big Ten for Clemson. They are going to beat 
um, Maryland, maybe. They're going to beat Rutgers. They're <laughs> going to beat Northwestern. They're going to beat certain teams. Nebraska. <laughs> Nebraska, Minnesota, um, Wisconsin now, because Wisconsin's a tire fire at this point. So I think the stability of the Big Ten is alluring. The SEC obviously has some money too, but Clemson, as far as logistically speaking, isn't a bad move for the Big Ten, but they would have to add another team. Well, from from what, you know, as we've been scouring the, the, the wire here over the last few months with all of this going on, um, you know, you've got North Carolina and Florida State are the other two that are, are most likely to make a move. So, you know, you, you go to the Big Ten and now you've got, you know, you got USC coming in, you got UCLA coming in, you got um, the, the other two additionals teams that they have fucked out of the Pac-12, you know, Washington's coming over in, in Oregon. And, you know, you look at those teams and if you go by what the conference is going to be, of the top nine teams right now in the AP pool, six of those teams are from what would be the Big Ten. Mm-hmm. With, uh, so you're going to have a loaded conference and uh, Notre Dame's a wild card and you know, I, I know my, my um, disdain for all things dome uh, is, is well known, uh, but, you know, Notre Dame can write their own check, and, and that's the one thing they have going for them. But you have to wonder at what point, um, how long can they hold out, and, and, and where are they going to go? So if Clemson ends up coming here, is Notre Dame possibly a wild card to to add another additional team to balance the conference out? Or do you, you know, and then you got Florida State, North Carolina, they jump to the SEC and, and, and stay down there. So um, with, with Pitt, I mean, you look there and you go to the ACC and you see Pitt and, and they make every excuse under the sun. Um, they will tell you, you know, well, Nanduzi does more with less. Well, does he? I mean, you're in a very he won weak one ACC championship. Yeah, and that was with God tier Kenny Pickett. It, it, exactly, and, and and now you know he's on he's on the whole you know carousel of quarterbacks where he's going out and bringing people in, and you know they they don't they don't draw well. It's in Oakland. It's in the city. Um, you know, I've seen high school games in Texas that get as many people as Pitt does to their games. And, and that, you know, like all goes back with that same. I wouldn't even say Texas. That's Whippeal. You can even keep it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, When you go to the Whippeal playoffs uh, there in November, when, you know, the Whippeal's playing on Friday and Pitt's playing on Saturday and Pitt and uh, the Steelers are playing on Sunday. Well, you know, the Steelers are first in the attendance and and, yeah, you're right. You know, the Whippeal teams may, may be pushing Pitt for, for attendance there, but, it's definitely a landscape that's changed. It's, you know, it's not back. You know, I have seen Penn State as an independent uh, back in the day. Uh, I've seen them, you know, with, with the Eastern lineup when they were playing Boston College and Syracuse and, and Pitt on a regular basis in West Virginia. And while some of those, it would be nice, I'd, I'd be all about playing West Virginia every year. Um, the only reason I don't really care to see Pitt is just because of, honestly, it's because of no doozy. Um, so, the, the fact that they're kind of hitting the skids here a little bit, I think Michigan, you know, that may hurt his chances uh, of, of going to, to Michigan State. I guess that's to be seen. 
Yeah, and I think the, the, what would be ideal is that they had the Big East again. The Big East would be a great asset if in this case, but they merged with the ACC back in the day. Now the Big East is far from what it was. But, yeah, it's going to be so interesting to see because I think Duke and Carolina, they're not going anywhere apart. I think they're a package deal. Notre Dame's just hanging out. How long is NBC going to want to pay Notre Dame and the Big Ten? And how long is it going to be until Notre Dame's alliances with the Big Ten rather than the ACC, like it is for football and basketball? They're already a Big Ten oh. member for hockey. So that's that all matters too, but it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. But I think more is going to happen as the season goes on, and I think that's what's that's what's crazy. But we're going to come back from for the third and final segment of the Behind the Curtain podcast when we return from this break and talk a little bit more about life outside of college football after this quick break. Welcome back to the third and final segment of Behind the Curtain on Nittany Sports. Now, this is our final segment for, for Murph and I, Jared. Um, we are going to talk a little bit about the NFL. And and you know what? At, at times, you know, we've struggled on our first podcast with some technical glitches on my end because I seemingly don't know how to do this after doing this for six years. So I just got to shake it off sometimes. Um, and sometimes, you know, the haters are going to hate, 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 hate. But, it, but and what's funny about this is that there was some hate coming into this podcast on, on Murph's side mainly because nobody knew what was going on. We were very discreet. I, I had tweeted a shower curtain at him, and maybe people got uh, some weird vibes. Um, but but now we're here, and, you know, I, I know him all too well. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's it's funny because I, I myself, and what I'm going to explain here real quick is I, I myself, when people put stuff out there on social media, and mostly on Facebook, and, um, you know, you put something out there that's ambiguous and, you know, there are certain people that I know do things like that consistently, consistently. Um, you know, what would you say? Looking for clout, looking for clicks, you know, looking for attention. So when, when you and I discussed this, I put something up on Facebook the other day. And it was kind of funny because, you know, I said, hey, some big things coming up here. I'm, I'm not at liberty to say right now. I'll spill the beans when the time comes. And, you know, within five minutes. I'm getting like text. Well, you have to tell me oh, why. Well, because you like me. You know, well, I like a lot of people. Well, I'm the most important. Um, I, it was it was funny. I, I had some people messaging me, and it, it, it was just like, well, you can tell me. Is it this? You know. And I'm sitting there, and 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 some of the reasons were absolutely hysterical. And and this person, she she knows who she is, and and I, hopefully she listens to this broadcast and. And here's this, but uh, some of the things um, that are funny that you and I can, can you're moving back to Pennsylvania. Uh, you, you bought your parents' house. You guys are pregnant. You're coming back to coach seats next year. That's, that's one of my favorites right there. Um, you remembered my buffalo chicken dip recipe. And that's an inside joke because I know the recipe, but every time I go to make it, I have to, I have to contact her again and say, I forget. Um, the best one was you did a radio interview with Rich DeLeo. 
And so, you know, I'm sitting here dying. Um, you had a phone call with Pat Kraft and James Franklin. I mean, it's just, um, and there was another one that you're going to be the next, this person with your Penn State commentary. And it's just, it's funny. And then, and then you got some people that were like, really, truly like irritated because I wouldn't tell them. But um, so sure, hate, 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 try to shake it off. We all know where you're going with this one, Jared. So take it away. Most famous NFL fan of all time is Taylor Swift. Um, Taylor Swift was, I was shocked. I Listen, I, I grew up, not grew up, but I, Taylor Swift has been a big crush of mine. I've seen her in concert quite a few times. Um, none recently. Wait, 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 what? Yeah, oh, I 100%. Right. Um, do you have your man card there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm I'm my, yeah, I have my wedding ring. So I'm not married <laughs> I'm to Taylor Swift, but... <laughs> But yeah, so obviously I've, I've known Taylor Swift. Um, and when you think of Tim McGraw, I do, I do think of her sometimes. But, you know, it's funny. They showed her and I thought it was really cool. Like Travis Kelsey, like shot his shot. He was so like, and I listened to New Heights and it's a great podcast. And I think it's hilarious. And he was like, yeah, I was just so disappointed. She didn't want to meet anybody. And then listen, what I think is great is that she met his mom already. And the two teams that she will have seen him play against are the Jets and the Bears. So, like, there has got to be some sort of chemistry there between those two teams because I don't even think I could get my wife to go watch me play against those two teams. <laughs> well, you know, the, the irony, too, is so now you have, you know, all the Swifties are blowing up, and um, it was reported the day after on Monday that Travis Kelsey jerseys were up by 400% because of this whole swift thing and you know so now you got the chiefs and you got a, a you got a uh a swift kelsey uh duo going in there and then you jump over to the philadelphia eagles and what do you have you got jason kelsey and deandre swift so you got double duos going on here and and you know as jared as, as we would say the internet is undefeated and the memes that were coming out oh I so mean, they're so great and, and uh, even the memes about Swift and Kelsey, and they're like, these two are hooking up? And it was yeah. the, the, the like DeAndre Swift and, and Jason Kelsey. Like, those, like, it's just been phenomenal. And the, the seemingly ranch, and it's just been so, so great and so overdone. And I think that's what makes it even worse. Um, it, it is and just so fantastic. And it's really well, taken that, away. And it's really been, I don't know if this is in the script for the NFL this year, but what what but it's been a rough year you know uh for everybody other than the kelsey family uh but running backs in general you know a lot of them have dealt with some injury you know nick chubb's oh. knee looked like it just went about six different ways other than the way it should have against the steelers you've got saquon barkley who was dealing with an injury you've got jk dobbins who was hurt and just so many different injuries to some big nine big name players in this, after a summer of them just battling it out for equality as far as pay goes for running backs and, and wanting to get more money and wanting to do those things. And and it's been kind of weird to see and bizarre to see. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and, some, and some other names there, uh, like Austin Eckler, you know, and, and he was out. And so, you know, you're talking when you, when you look at like, you know, Dobbins was hurt last year. Um, you know, he's kind of making a comeback and then to turn around in the first game and, and, and after all that rehab and coming back and then just 
like tear his Achilles and he's done. Um, but when you look at, you know, you kind of tie in your fantasy teams and stuff to this. And, and as you and I were talking here in between segments, um, my one fantasy league that I'm in, five of my eight top guys that I had were all hurt or out for the season in week three of the year. Um, I had Nick Chubb gone for the season. I had Mike Williams gone for the season. Uh, I had Eckler out, Ayuk out, and, and, and Jalen Waddle, which, you know, I would have loved to have Jalen Waddle be a little bit of a recipient of those 70 points that uh, the Dolphins put up last week, but it wasn't to be. Um, so there, when, when, when you try to bring that into the front there with, with the, you know, those guys actually had a Zoom call with one another. Like, you know, hey, we're trying to get paid here. We're trying to do stuff. And, and, and Saquon, you know, I just always felt bad for Saquon because even when he was at Penn State, his offensive line wasn't that good. He goes to the Giants, and yeah. the offensive line's even worse. Which is impressive. Like, you know, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, um, but yeah, I mean, the NFL right now, I mean, you, you, if you saw the beginning of the Detroit game tonight, you know, Detroit went out and, you know, it, Green Bay just looked like, they looked like the Chicago Bears. I mean, they were just getting turnovers and, and giving up touchdowns. And like, before you know it, it was already 24 to 3. Um, but things things will start shaking out here in the next four to six weeks. Um, as far as I know, you know, with the NFL right now, and, and I know we're only touching briefly on this, but I, right now, San Francisco, Miami, Philadelphia, and Buffalo, uh, I would put into my four. I was going to include this may be a sore subject for you and some of some other people that were oh, former man. LS Fury players, but um, it, the Dallas Cowboys walk into Arizona with Josh Dobbs at quarterback and absolutely get blown off the field last week here. And um, yeah, that's that was a big surprise to me, a big yeah, shock. I would have had um, him in my top five, but I, I wasn't. I wasn't shocked. Um, and, and the reason why is like they were due for a letdown, right? You know, I, I don't ever get my hopes up. And I, I always say that I love being a Dallas Cowboys fan because for 15, 14 weeks of the season, I can just root for them and it's great. But those last two weeks, it doesn't matter because they're either eliminated or I know they're going to be set up for a first round or second round loss. Um, and today or last week, I had even texted a couple of buddies. I was like, I'm fully expecting them to lose. They were down their entire offensive line, it seemed. And it is what it is. They are the only team in the league that does not have a wide receiver who has scored a touchdown this year. So that is great, of course, but it's still early. There's still so much that can be figured out. I'm not quite sure if that means like the Taylor Swift will end up with Jason Witten and Witten will come back to the NFL. <laughs> that would be great. Um, if just Jason Witten came back, it doesn't even have to be the Taylor Swift stuff, but man, it, it is, it is so fascinating now because in the college football world, it's wild. Um, it's a wild, wild west, but in the NFL world, it's just Taylor Swift. It's we're in Taylor's era, and that's she has written the script, and um, the script writers for the NFL, I think, are are doing a great job so far. Um, as far as you know, certain things have been concerned, but there's still so much more that that's left to be played and to play out, and we're gonna see see what happens. So yeah, I mean, lost in the shuffle of all of this is is you know the Mahomes family. With, uh, you know, the one meme, it was kind of funny. It showed Brittany with her famous yelling and, and, and up at the top, it says, you know, hey, wait, what about me? What about me? 
you know, and it's just, it's it, now that the was, attention has. That was, has, oh man, there was a meme with Britney Spears ca- carrying around knives. Um, it was oh. like, there it, it, it was a video of her and it was like Britney Mahomes next time she sees Taylor Swift or, and then uh, there was a Tanya Harding, Nancy Kerrigan one. It was like, it was just, yes. the internet is awesome. Um, and the best part about the internet is I have two favorite things. The internet is undefeated in good teams win, great teams cover, which is going to be a nice little segue to talk about um, what we've got as far as the Penn State game goes before we sign off for the podcast. So, so uh, last check I saw, I think I believe Penn State was a 24 and a half point uh, favorite. Um, given an 11 a.m. game, Northwestern, a little bit, you, know, you have to expect a letdown. I think a little bit of a letdown from, from the Iowa game last week. Uh, I, I think this is the game that maybe they get some explosive runs going with Singleton and, and Catron Allen. I think there's going to be emphasis on that uh, into this game. And so that said, I think the defense is still going to end up being the defense, uh, despite the points that Northwestern put up. So I'm going to go with, I'm going to go with a 38 to 10. Penn State covers. Um, hopefully they don't have to score at the end with a uh, vote for Bullet to cover that uh, like they did week number one um, against West Virginia. But I'm going with 38 to 10, a late touchdown by Northwestern against Penn State's second and third team defensive guys. So I have them at 42 to 10. So we're pretty close um, as far as that goes. But it'll be interesting to see how they get off the bus, see how they show up and, and get after it. I don't think it's going to be as dominant as Iowa was, but at the same time, I do think there's going to be some semblance of dominance there, both offensively and defensively, and that's going to set them up rather nicely. Going into the bye week, then UMass, and then at Columbus for a noon kick. It's going to be a great time. For those of you going to the UMass game, I do want to send a special shout-out to Graham's Up and Smoke Barbecue, who hopefully will become a sponsor of this fine podcast. Get us some free goodies. Maybe not for you since you're out in Arizona, but you do come to Pennsylvania every (laughs) once in a while, so I'll absorb – all of your food very easily, actually. But they're going to be participating in um, a rib fest up there prior to the game. Go stop and see them. It's the best pulled pork and, and baked mac and cheese that, that we have around central Pennsylvania, better than every tailgate out there. But for for Paul Murphy on his inaugural podcast, this is Jared Prugar on the Behind the Curtain podcast on the Sports Now Network. We'll catch you again next week.